This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. One of India's biggest airlines grounded to a halt. After 26 years of service, Jet Airways said it had run out of cash. It appears that competition from other discount carriers as well as other foreign companies flying to India may have led to its downfall. Its founder, Naresh Goyal, was forced out of the company last month as part of a government-backed bailout. The bailout didn't happen, and so now the banks are hoping for a rescue buyer. Meanwhile, other airlines are looking to increase service, given that Jet Airways handled over 27 million passengers last year. So is there any hope that Jet Airways will be flying again? With more, we are joined here in studio by Saika Chowdhury, who's executive director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management and a professor of management here at the Wharton School. And also joining us on the phone, Kenneth Button, public policy professor at George Mason University's Shar School for Policy and Government. Saika, great to see you. Thank you for coming on. Great to be here. Thank you, Ken. Great to have you back with us. Nice to be here. Saika, to start with you, in terms of the landscape of the airline industry in India, how surprising was this that that Jet basically said, we have no cash left? Well, unfortunately, given the writing on the wall for uh, maybe the better part of a year now, I think it's it's been um, not too surprising. It's unfortunate, though. In India, what's happened is that, you know, it's a price-sensitive market. There are a lot of low-cost carriers, such as Indigo and SpiceJet, who've been making inroads. The fuel prices have been going up, and then the exchange rate has been unfavorable for uh, the Indian rupee. So, um, you know, as a result of that and the general cost environment where there are heavy taxes on uh, airlines through uh, aviation fuel taxes, for example, levied by the state governments, the cost environment hasn't been good, and the pricing hasn't been good. There's been cutthroat competition, which has driven down the fare. So, uh, unfortunately, something had to happen, and we have this regrettable outcome. Ken, it is interesting. We talked with you just a few weeks ago about WOW Airlines, uh, the Icelandic carrier uh, that had to shut operations. How similar are, are these two instances in these cases? I, I think there's a, always a problem um, with low-cost carriers. So, in that sense... The similarities. The problem with low-cost carriers are that they they enter the market, they're open markets, and you keep getting more and more entry, forcing the fares down essentially to marginal costs. So you're not earning enough to cover your capital expenditures. And ultimately, airlines leave the market and airlines enter the market. Um, I was listening to a speech by the Indian Transport Minister uh, a day before yesterday or yesterday, and he was making this point out. It's a natural evolution. The airlines come and go. Um, the capacity gets absorbed because, it, of course, the aircraft don't vanish. So in both cases, you've got this phenomena. We see it going on all the time with smaller airlines. And occasionally you get the, the bigger ones. And that, that's right. the case with Jet Airways, the large airlines. How, how, how much growth is there, Saikat, in, in the low-cost carrier market in India right now? Well, definitely there's a lot. If you think about the population of India, more than a billion people and still a fair chunk who's never flown before, right? Right. So the low-cost market is very attractive. Also, distances are not far. So Bombay, Calcutta, or Delhi down to Chennai, about two, nothing, you know, really more than a little over two hours. So from that point of view, low-cost carriers, you know, do have a ready market. That's why there's so many of them. There is room for full-service carriers, but 
uh, I think it's uh, a smaller amount of population. One has to reconceive how that works, perhaps on the connectivity side with the international networks outside of India, you know, the intercontinental travel. Right. Part. The, the, the need was going to be my next question of how much of a need is there for the for the full service carrier? Yeah. If you just look at the domestic market, it's much like in Europe or the States as well, where what's happened is essentially domestic markets uh, within Europe and here have gone to the low cost model, a bit of a no frills type of model. Where this is useful is to think about it as a feed also for international markets. Now, I don't know if you want to get into larger issues now, but there's more to it here, I guess, strategically in terms of jet airways. It was a full-service carrier. Um, It was bought by uh, or at least invested in by Etihad Airways. Etihad had done a number of these, Air Berlin, Alitalia, and so forth. And part of Etihad's goal was to create a hub in Abu Dhabi, much like Emirates in Dubai. And therein lay a problem because a lot of these airlines became feeders for Abu Dhabi. Uh, instead of exploiting the markets that they have and the com- natural comparative advantages that they possess, such as access to the Indian market, then there's also, you could debate leadership and political issues at play here. Sure. On the political side, um, you know, a lot of rights were given to the Middle East carriers to fly into India by a previous government. And uh, in terms of leadership, Naresh Goyal was uh, great at uh, launching Jet Airways, but I think failed to transition the airline. It happens with entrepreneurs sometimes when they create uh, their baby. So there's a lot of brand confusion, part low cost, part full service. You know, there's, it was difficult to uh, see where that was headed. Well, and as you mentioned, this was something that literally was a startup, what, 25, 26 years ago, uh, and really has built out over the course of time. I guess the question is now, is, is there in your mind a way to be able to try and find funding to be yeah. able to keep the airlines from, from having to sell off all of their property? So the question is, is what, what can Jet Airways offer at this moment? So attractive slots is one thing, but the yeah. Indian government... Uh, especially because uh, airports are slot constrained. Take a look at Mumbai, for example. But um, the question is, temporarily, the government is already filling them with others. And uh, as my colleague was saying, you know, the aircraft are coming in, and so there will be capacity to absorb all this. So it's going to be harder by the day. The question is, is the brand Jet Airways worth something? Um, Can you get something from the slots? Most of the aircraft are leased, so they're not owned by Jet. So it becomes a little harder. But others have made a play. These days, picking up assets, including uh, aircraft, but also uh, slots, is more the medium that we saw with uh, Air Berlin earlier as well, and Lufthansa doing that. Ken? Uh, That's absolutely right. I mean, the reason that uh, Jet Airways stopped flying, basically they couldn't pay their leasing fees. And the aircraft are being taken away from them by the uh, leasing companies. Uh, that, that's a major problem. They don't own a huge number of aircraft. They own a certain number, not a huge one. Um, I think the difficulty is also mixing low-cost carriers, short-haul flights with long-haul flights. They're different businesses. Uh, Jet Airways has got uh, some 777s and so on, and it, but it's mainly short-haul, as is being said just now within India, using uh, 737s. Etc. And incidentally, they have got. They did have an order for 225 Mark, uh, Max 8s, which was a topic we talked about the other day. Yeah. Um, so they have a, an order in for those. They only have about four or five at the moment, I think, which are in service or about to go into service. But it is difficult running an airline. The successful low-cost carriers like Ryanair, Southwest, keep a very basic model. They don't really become too adventurous. Jet Airways flies into Continental, um, and you've got money coming in from Etihad, 
into it, which is clearly for that purpose, as we just heard, I think this mixing is incredibly difficult for low-cost airliners to expand into. So then if there was a lifeline out there, Ken, a financial lifeline for JET, uh, which then is the path that they probably should take? And it sounds like it's going to have to be one or the other. Well, I think it's going to be a smaller activity. I mean, it, it was... It was actually the largest uh, Indian airline until uh, about 2012. So its growth was actually even more dramatic than you're indicating. It sort of peaked out about uh, six or seven years ago. Right. Um, it's got to come in. It's got to be, think of itself as a smaller airline. I think it's got to think of itself as an Indian airline and compete with the low-cost carriers in India using the short-haul routes. And it's got to provide the lowest-cost product possible. Whether it's going to succeed or not is, is something one, one can't judge. But there's either that route or you become a quasi-full cost carrier that involves mixing fleets, it involves a more complicated uh, network structure, and it, uh, it uh, involves serving essentially two different products, and most companies are not good at that. Does this also highlight potential issues in terms of the airline industry in other parts of the world, it, it, that now that we've had Wow and and Jet go, uh, you know, go belly up at least for the time being. Well, I, I wrote a paper some years ago, which seems people seem to read called "Low Cost Carriers: A Failed Business Model," and what you tend to find is that low cost carriers grow for a while. Then they either go out of business, go bust. They may grow very fast and then just disintegrate. Or else they morph into something different. Um, they morph into a, a medium-type uh, carrier with additional services, getting additional revenues from add-on services and so on and so forth. But it is a model. And you start looking at statistics, an awful lot of low-cost carriers enter and leave the market every year. We don't hear about them. I just simply reiterate that this one is a fairly large one that went under. I think Ken is right, and it prompts me to uh, think of something else, which is that low-cost carriers, I think, on short and maybe regional routes have worked out fine. It's on the long haul where uh, they start running into uh, problems, uh, especially, you know, so you see Norwegian has also been uh, in some fine under financial duress. So I think figuring out those models is, is difficult. One of the challenges, you know, is that both of you alluded to earlier on, the pricing, you know, they come in and, yes, they do a service to some extent to cater to a certain amount of demand, but if right. the pricing becomes unreasonable, then everybody suffers as a result. The U.S. is an interesting model because the U.S. has consolidated, essentially, mm -hmm. into three major airline groupings and a little bit more with the Southwest and JetBlue and um, uh, Alaska and so forth. Europe is undergoing that, and I think Asia will have a bit more of that uh, happening. How much then could you see consolidation continue, or I should say really occur, outside of the U.S.? Because if it's a model that has worked here in the United States and there's more security, more, more uh, the consolidation has, has you know, led to a level of security, then what, do we should, what should we expect from outside the U.S.? Yeah, I think there's a, you know, there's a certain amount of stability that comes with that. I think in Europe, you're going to see a few more of these happening. Europe's yep. also a bit more open in terms of countries being willing to, at some point, let go of their national carriers. In Asia, you have a bit more of a challenge on, on those fronts. Um, that said, I think there's a slightly different situation in Asia as well, where you've got huge populations and mm. population growth. So I think it can sustain a little bit more in terms of numbers of carriers. The growth rates have been still very, very high, and India is part of that. Ken? 
I entirely agree. I think there is a difference. The growth rate is higher in India, in China, and other places. In many cases, we've also got very large urban areas developing, and aviation is a good way of serving uh, passengers between two large conglomerations, uh, which are not uh, huge distances apart, you know, three, four hundred miles apart. Aviation is quite effective for doing that. High-speed rail is the alternative we're seeing in China. Right. But there, there's a geography pattern to this. There's also another thing with the demography. Incomes are rising, and also you've got younger populations. Younger populations tend to want to be more mobile. Um, if you take Western society, younger generations want experience. They want to go places, meet people, do things. In the old days, they used to acquire things, physical things. The world is changing. And in the Asian market, also to a lesser extent because it's poorer, the same thing is happening in Africa. So then potentially would we see a different type of investment cycle of, of not necessarily needing to bring an airline back from a financial crisis, but looking to other modes to be able to, to, uh, to get people from town to town, especially as the Indian economy is starting to really uh, really grow over the last couple of years. Yeah, I mean, there is the smart cities idea and, and thinking about other modes of transport like uh, railways. But I think like Ken is saying, air travel in countries like that will be a very uh, effective means of connecting. You already see the government having a policy for connecting, for example, these tier two and tier three cities with mm-hmm. each other, a subsidized model. But if you look at it now, Air Asia. India, which is a subsidiary uh, that's partly also owned by the Tata Group. Uh, Vistar is another airline that's been seeking to grow also on the international front. It's full service. Um, and then, of course, SpiceJet Indigo and then Air India, you know, etc. So there, there are a number of carriers that have the opportunity and the room to grow now. So I think that will continue to happen. And more and more cities as they develop, like Ken said, will also be connected for efficient modes of transport. Eight four four nine four two seven eight six six, or if you'd like, send us a comment on Twitter at BizRadio one thirty two, or my Twitter account, which is at Dan Loney L O N E Y twenty one. So then, then, Ken, how important are those slots that Jet has occupied? Occupied, excuse me, in the short term for getting some sort of deal done, so that Jet could potentially try and hold on to them. Slots are immensely important. We talk about airlines because that's the thing we physically move on, but slots are. The, the bottlenecks in many aviation markets. You've got a limited number of slots at airports, and a slot is not a slot. You've got to have two slots, one at either end. Right. Yes. So you, you, the, the capacity problem is, is rather more complicated than uh, one would think. But slots have got value. I mean, they, they sell in Europe for millions and millions of euro uh, for single slots. They are very important in certain markets. And given that the population growth and probably the demand for aviation is going to grow faster than airport capacity, they become more valuable. In the short term, though, I think you've got to keep the system running. And, um, you know, the government will force other airlines into them. If they're not being used, they will be taking over. I'm pretty sure of that and used by other airlines. So the passenger is not going to suffer very much, may not even notice very much um, after a few weeks that uh, an airline vanishes. The immediate impact is obviously felt as flights are cancelled, but people step in pretty quickly. Yes, I agree. And um, here's actually a a difference to the U.S. market. The U.S. market has slot restrictions in some places, but not of the same kind. Um, It's more to deal with congestion. 
Um, you know, for example, the New York airports had it for a little while. This is where it's a little bit of a different market here. Building five runways, given the space available, is not an issue. Adding sixth or seventh one is not a problem. At Heathrow, it's an issue even building a third one. Um, you know, and uh, and in other places like Dusseldorf, it's hard to even increase capacity on existing runways because of these rules. But to your to your larger point, you know, I think that you know, I also think that what will end up happening is that if there's a suitor who's really keen, they will do something, but otherwise they will just fill the void and, and grow, and the government will be okay as long as it, you know the demand gets satisfied and airfares don't spike too much. Would one of those be another air carrier already in existence? Or, I mean, you have private equity that is already invested in in Jet. Would it would it stay in a private equity piece? So there is uh, there are groupings that are looking at it. Even Delta Airlines had looked at uh, in as part of a consortium. Part yeah. of the issue is that a foreign uh, entity cannot hold a majority yeah. in this case. So uh, that's uh, you know many countries have that. Mm. I think though that you know one speculation that I've heard, which is not so much in the press, is that the Tata Group. Um, might think about, you know, Jet, they've got Vistara, um, and then, you know, they were in talks about Air India earlier as well. Right. Perhaps there's room to merge a few of these together in some sense and create one strong airline as opposed to a bunch of them that either can't grow or are weaker financially. Ken? Yes, I mean, there's advantage in having an Indian airline because of the bilateral agreements and various other agreements with other countries, which often demand the airline is a, 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 a national a company is the same as an individual, and uh, in that sense, and uh, that means there's an advantage if the majority of shareholders are actually uh, Indian in this case. Um, I think large scale is important, but you also find um, that the good, effective, medium-sized carriers can can operate. Take somewhere like Southwest; it's not as big internationally as the other carriers over over here, but. Um, it, uh, it does succeed, and it's, it's, it's as much good management. And the crucial thing is network management, to have the optimal network. Uh, size isn't the important thing. It's having quick turnarounds at airports, having an appropriate fleet, having a good uh, balance of, uh, of business. And in India, you get a certain amount of cargo carried as well by some of these planes. Uh, it, it's a, a good business model. And size may be one dimension, but there's a lot of others as well. You know, I find it interesting that we're, we're talking about an airline that's that has ceased operations, and obviously, as we have laid this out, there is a hope that that this airline will will come back. Yet, the stock of the company is still trading, and and and, and, and it makes you wonder about the employees who, who I guess basically have had to be put on furlough. You know, for the time being, until something definitive definitive happens here, Saikon. Yes, I mean that also that reflects two things. One is the hope, but the second is that remember this consortium of banks led by the State Bank of India actually ended up essentially taking over after yeah. they pushed Naresh Goyal out. So there is an owner in that sense yeah. um, who could, which could put in money. And not let the whole time sink, uh, whole airline sink. The other thing is, you know, there are elections going on in India right now, which yeah. was actually, to be honestly, to be honest, the brinkmanship, you know, that that Narish Goel really engaged in, which was that he did not think the Indian government would let Jet fail. Um, I think that's pretty much, you know, we can infer that from the situation, given that there are elections and you don't want this kind of thing happening in the middle of elections, especially when the current prime minister is accused by the opposition yeah. of not creating enough jobs, ironically. Yeah. 
So I think that's part of it. The other piece, though, which I just wanted to touch upon, is it's it's interesting that the cost base in India is so high for airlines to operate. Of course, aircraft and fuel is common across sure. the world. But yeah. in India, this added aviation turbine tax, which state governments assess, right? So even if the labor is cheaper in India, what happens is that this tax uh, actually creates a higher cost base than, say, a Singapore would. And that's something I think the government needs to look at structurally, too. Okay. Ken? Yeah, uh, yeah. I think that's true for international services. But surely, if every Indian airline domestically has to pay the same tax, all you're doing is, is moving the floor upwards. The competitive conditions remain the same. You simply all have to pay a higher price. That will make the overall supply smaller than it would be without the tax, without actually making giving any airline an added advantage. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Ken. If that yeah. were to happen, the only problem is because of all the entrants, the tendency to undercut prices means that the fares are not high enough to cover it. That's one of the struggles. Well, well I think that would be true if fares were lower. You simply have even more entrants. If you see what I mean, exactly. Uh, uh, so the, the point about that, the point is internationally, it puts them in a competitive advantage. And of course, um, uh, Jet had a you know a, a fairly a fair sized international fleet, which was quite modern and quite expensive. So right. that may well be a, a major problem on the international routes. Although, of course, you can buy fuel at your destinations, which you know reduces the price a little bit. I think you're right about labor. They employ or have employed about 20,000 people. Some have not been paid for three months, I understand. So it's not just a case of the leasing fees and the banks calling them in. It's the labor is uh, somewhat unhappy with the company as well. And I think when you get that situation where you must have low morale in the company, uh, the financiers are not very happy with it, the customers will be concerned because flights have been cancelled. Can they trust them in the future? Right. It is difficult to to sort of do a Phoenix-style resurrection of the business. Psychot? I agree. It's sort of a, a real paradox where letting them go under is difficult for those reasons and uh, reviving them is as well. So I think that's what everybody behind the scenes is working on right now. Yeah. All the stakeholders, other airlines, prospective investors, government and so forth to try and figure this out. You know, And uh, that stock price reflects that hope and the ownership by State Bank and others. What do you expect that, that we're going to see play out here in the weeks to come then? I find it very difficult to make a prediction, to be very yeah. honest with you. But I think that it's safe to say that the employees will get redistributed in some way as others add capacity. We've already seen that with SpiceJet hiring hundreds of them literally on the next day of the crew and Air India doing it too. Um, whether or not Jet Airways itself comes back is a different matter, but I think the employees and the routes will be taken care of. Ken? Yeah, I mean, we've got to remember there's also Kingfisher in the history of this as well, which went under. Um, I, I mean, they, all the workers will be absorbed. They're skilled workers. Um, it's a sector which is growing fast. The Indian economy is growing fast. I'm not sure the government's going to save this one. It could well use it as an example of where efficiency should be uh, pursued rather more rigorously. Uh, I suspect they'll they'll just uh, make it a little softer for the workers, and uh, just let this airline fade. Great having you both with us. Good to see you, Saika. Thank you for coming in. 
Thanks a lot for having me. Thank you, Ken. Great to have you with us today. Thanks very much. Thank Bye. you. Thank you. Saikot Chowdhury from here at the Wharton School Executive Director of the Mac Institute for Innovation Management, Kenneth Button at George Mason University's Shar School of Policy and Government. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.